Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 20 Don't be ridiculous, Liana said. We can't go through the tunnels. They haven't been used since the burning, and then only sparingly. Wait, you knew about this place? Liana looked up to the ceiling as if contemplating punching Baz again. Of course, all conservators do. Why do you think I didn't want you to come down here? There's nothing the conservatory guards more closely than the secrets of the inks. Have you ever seen someone exit one of the factories in erstwhile? Liana slapped a hand over her mouth as soon as she said it, eyes wide with something that seemed close to horror. Baz cocked an eyebrow. No one who works in the factories ever leaves? Liana didn't respond. Her expression slowly mutated to one of neutrality, her lips firmly closed. Baz looked away from her, back into the cavern. What happens to them, then? He gestured with his head at the workers toiling away at the various devices. We're instructed to kill them once they outlive their usefulness, Emma said, far too casually. Or when they're injured and unable to work. You do what? Emma raised her hands in front of her. Whoa, Baz, I said they tell us to, not that we actually do it. What did you call him? Liana asked, voice like poisoned silk. Baz froze. How would he explain such familiarity from Emma? She knew full well that Tax was the only one who called him Baz. Where have you been, girl? We were supposed to leave an hour ago. A new voice, and one that demanded attention. Its owner was an old woman with yellow feathers tied into her long gray hair. She had the dark, sun-tanned skin of a fortuner and was seemingly made of nothing but wrinkles and sinew. Her light blue dress was a single piece of fabric cinched at the waist by a white sash. The sash had more than a dozen knots tied into it at random intervals. On someone else, it might have looked sloppy, but on this woman, the knots made Baz uncomfortable. Her expression made apparent that she would tolerate exactly zero nonsense. There was no way she hadn't had a purpose in tying those knots in her belt. Of course, his unease might also have been caused by the curved knife tucked into the woman's sash at her left hip. Its blade split into twin points like a wolf's fangs. Ah, there you are, Maeve, Emma said, sounding relieved. These are the companions I sent word to you about. They'll be accompanying us to fortune. The old woman eyed Baz up and down, lips pursed as if disappointed. This is what you've come up with after all the time I gave you to plan? Maeve, Emma said, don't insult our guest. 
but despite her admonishing words, Emma's eyes had dropped to her toes. She'd looked precisely the same way when suffering the criticism of her mother back at Undertome. Thaw, girl! Don't look like a hummingbird that's found the sugar water gone dry. I've plans of my own for carrying out our task. Emma's head snapped back upward, eyes heated. You told me it'd be my... I told you I'd make you responsible for a plan. Faded ink, you think I'd just sit back and do nothing while you planned? I thought, apparently not thoroughly enough. Emma's face had turned a color to match the fire burning beneath the vats of fermented shadow ink. Um, er, ma'am? Baz interjected. What plan is it exactly you're referring to? He'd intended to take some of the woman's pressure off Emma, but it quickly became apparent that, once again, he'd only succeeded in making things worse by opening his mouth. Thick as he looks, it seems, Maeve said. Maeve! Emma cried. It's all right, Baz said, forcing a chuckle. I don't fancy myself the sharpest knob in the box either. Besides, in my position, it's much easier to stay out of trouble when people don't think much of you. Maeve tilted her head to one side as if Baz had just said something interesting, a bit of the mockery that'd been in her rocky eyes dissipating. An instant later, though, her brows dropped and she jabbed a finger toward his throat. It pressed into the empty leather pouch that Ogues had given him. Hmph! <laughs> Perhaps the rock's got a bit of a sheen on the inside. She turned to Liana before Baz could decide whether that had been an insult or a compliment. Maeve gave her the same up-and-down appraisal she'd given him. This one's got ambition. And secrets. You sure it wouldn't be better to toss her in one of the ink vats before leaving? I beg your pardon, Liana stepped toward Maeve. See here, Illit, I'm a member of... We need to be going, Maeve said, turning to Emma as if Liana hadn't spoken. I've an appointment at Asher Library tomorrow evening. The Duke's daughter is expecting... Excuse me, Liana said. Just who do you think you are, addressing a conservator so? A midwife, Maeve said without looking at Liana. We need to be going. Now. A midwife? The older woman gesticulated with exasperation, turning back to Liana. On second thought, despite her gray hair and wrinkles, somehow she didn't look terribly old. Yes, that means I helped deliver newborns. I know what a midwife is, Liana snapped. What are you doing here? Maeve's hands went to her hips, and she began tapping one of her feet. Have you noticed how there are both men and women working here? What? Men and women, girl! Maeve's voice cracked like a whip, causing Liana to flinch back. Do you need a hearing trumpet? Trees fallen on the road, and I'm in a hurry. Wherever there are men and women, babies are sure to follow. Just because you've yet to experience one of the finer pleasures of your humanity doesn't mean there aren't others doing so. Baz began to laugh, but quickly turned it into a cough. Judging by the glare Liana turned in his direction, she had not fallen for his subterfuge. However, the scarlet in her cheeks also suggested that she wasn't about to open her mouth again where Maeve could hear. Yes, well, Emma said, assertively clearing her throat. Perhaps we should go, then. Maeve walked away without another word. 
Emma turned to the side and held out an arm in the direction the old woman was taking, entreating them to follow. Baz moved to comply, but stopped when Liana spoke. "'What do you mean, go? You can't actually be serious about the tunnels. Even if they weren't infested with the most dangerous beasts in all oration, it would take weeks to trek through the dark and arrive at the groves of Ur outside Fortune.' Emma aimed a thin smile at Liana. "'There are some things, Madam Conservator, that not all conservators know. You may have noted that Maeve said Asher Library is expecting her services tomorrow evening. I presume you know where Asher Library is?' "'Well, certainly,' Liana said. "'It's in fortune. But what does?' Emma's eyebrows rose. "'Does Maeve look like one who is ever late for appointments?' The question was intended for Liana, but instead Baz muttered, No, though I doubt anyone would dare to point it out to her if she ever was. Emma's eyes sparkled, but she kept silent and motioned once more for them to follow Maeve. This time Liana complied, a mix of exasperation and curiosity on her face. Baz followed, Emma walking beside him. Who is she? Baz asked in a low tone, though apparently not quiet enough for Emma's liking. "'You heard her,' she said through an obviously forced smile. "'She's a midwife. A good one, too. She serves most of the libraries in fortune. I even hear she's currently engaged by a countess at Liamina Library.' "'Oh,' Baz said. He supposed he could see some potential benefits to knowing such a person. "'What's the significance of the knots in her belt?' Emma's silence validated Baz's earlier reaction. An inexplicable foreboding filled his gut. You'll need to ask her about those, Emma finally replied. Definitely foreboding. But before Baz could press further, they caught up to Maeve and Liana, who had both stopped at the top of a raised wooden platform. About a dozen feet below the platform's edge was what looked like a road with wagon ruts in it, except the ruts appeared to be steel beams with boards laid across them. This road headed off into a narrow tunnel that was quickly consumed by darkness. However, far more interesting than the strange road was what sat atop it, directly in front of the platform. It vaguely resembled an enormous wagon, though the only thing that really caused Baz to think of a wagon was that it had wheels, and Baz had never seen anything other than a cart or a wagon with wheels. It more closely resembled the body of a dragon, or perhaps a worm was a more apt description, as it didn't have any limbs. It was made all of jet-black iron, and an orange glow emanated from within it, just like a dragon's flame. Steam rose from a chimney located about where the dragon's snout would have started. That snout ended in a narrow tip like an axe's edge, as if whoever had constructed this bizarre vehicle expected it to encounter enemies in its path and cleave them in two. Several men were standing atop the contraption. Two of them were carefully tipping a large crate into an open hatch behind the chimney, while a third directed. Black, jagged chunks of rock tumbled from the container into the mysterious conveyance. "'What is it?' Liana asked. 
The Enigma called it an Iron Dragon, Emma said. That's the only record we have of any name for it, so that's what we call it, too. Supposedly, he built it at the request of Helfax erstwhile himself. He wanted a faster way to travel. There were originally plans to build special roads for them above ground as well, but... Emma shrugged. You know the stories, that the scribes could simply transport themselves from place to place at will, so I guess transportation was never high on their list of priorities. For some reason, Maeve snorted at that comment. And this is how you plan to get me to fortune? Liana said, pointedly ignoring the older woman. That tunnel leads straight there, Emma said, motioning into the darkness. Well, to the groves of Ur, anyway. Close enough. But... Liana took a deep breath. Shadow breathers live down there. That's why you stay inside the Iron Dragon during the trip, Emma said. Judging by the twinkle in her eyes, she was enjoying Liana's consternation. Baz was with Liana, though, intentionally traveling into the lair of any creature with breather in its name sounded like a terrible idea. However, the women didn't seem interested in his opinion, and though he was often a slow learner, he'd seen enough to know that it'd be best to keep quiet. Time's wasting, ladies, Maeve interjected. I'm starting her up and leaving whether you're on board or not. With that, Maeve stepped off the platform and onto the Iron Dragon, moving much more lithely than Baz would have thought possible for a woman of her apparent age. She disappeared through a door that led into the Iron Dragon. Wait, Liana said. She can't come. She's seen the factory. Maeve's head poked back out of the Iron Dragon. Listen here, Missy. I've seen the most powerful women in all of Oration, naked and screaming in pain. I've slapped heirs and at least one duke of Fortune's libraries on the rear until they howled. I go where I please, and I certainly don't take orders from a conservator who hasn't even seen enough of life to have a gray hair or three. She disappeared back into the Iron Dragon before Liana could retort, though judging by her open mouth and surprised eyes, no response had been forthcoming anyway. Finally, she turned back to Emma, eyes narrowing. And why do you need to come? Emma shrugged and followed Maeve into the Iron Dragon. Takes two to pilot this thing, she said over her shoulder, before disappearing around the same corner as Maeve. Liana gave a very unladylike growl of frustration. She also might have stamped her foot, but Baz felt certain he'd be assaulted for pointing that out, so tried to pretend he hadn't seen it. Come on, Liana, he said. Looks like this is the only way we can get to fortune from here. We'll miss the Congress for sure any other way. The look of anger on Liana's face slowly turned to steely resolve. Let's be about it then, she said. But you've got some explaining to do, Bastion. Great, Baz thought. About what? he asked, expecting chastisement over not standing up for her to Maeve, as if he could hope to do anything in the face of the gale force that woman projected. About just how exactly you know this Emma woman. Chapter 21 I'm struggling to think of another way to say I've never met her besides the ten I've already used, Liana. 
They'd begun moving about an hour ago, and Baz's stomach had just started to settle. Whatever this iron dragon was, it definitely was not a wagon. When Emma had claimed that the vehicle could get them to fortune in a day, he'd found the assertion just as fantastic as Liana had. But not anymore. Not once the thing had started accelerating. And accelerating. And accelerating. Baz had no way of knowing for sure, but it seemed they had to have already covered more distance in a single hour than a horse covered in half a day. At such a speed, they'd reach fortune in less than a day. The interior of the Iron Dragon was broken into three sections. At the front was the jockey box. At least, that's what it would have been called on a wagon. He'd heard Emma say something about the cab when he'd entered the dragon. The compartment was full of levers, wheels, and other devices that made no sense at all to Baz. There was a whole wall of the things, all centered around what seemed a monstrous enclosed oven. Its door was latched shut, but narrow slits showed the inferno raging within it. A blast of hot air had nearly sent him staggering backward when he'd tried to enter the cab. Out? Emma had scolded him. Her hair had already been matted with sweat, and Baz ought to have been all too happy to leave the boiling furnace of a room behind. Yet he'd found himself considering Emma's flushed features for several long moments before coming to his senses. His discomfort, though, had quickly been replaced by downright anxiety when he'd realized that Emma hadn't told him to stop. Illiterate ink! Women were supposed to hate when you stared. What did it mean when they invited it? Had she invited it? Or was he just making up fancies? No, she'd been about to smile. He was certain. Right? Oh, scribes, help him! Turning away from the cab and heading deeper into the Iron Dragon had brought Baz and Liana to a narrow hall with black lacquer walls and an oak chair railing running its length. There were two doors on either side of the hall and one at its end. The doors to either side each housed identical rooms containing a pair of bunk beds, a reading table, and four chairs, two of which were impressively tall-backed loungers upholstered in supple leather. Light was supplied by oil lamps and a coal-burning stove. Searching for any excuse to avoid Liana's questions, Baz had detoured to the door at the end of the narrow hall, rather than immediately joining her in one of the traveling cabins. It opened into what Baz imagined the cargo hold of a sailing ship might look like. Several crates of the black rocks he'd seen dumped into the Iron Dragon outside lined one wall, along with a few barrels that might have contained water or ale. There was also a single wooden box, securely chained to the floor toward the hold's rear. Characters in bright red letters were inscribed on its top. Baz assumed they were in the common tongue, as he couldn't read them. Tax had always meant to teach him, but he'd barely begun teaching Baz each of the languages of the Trinity before that awful day all those years ago in the speaking room. Baz shook his head in an effort to rid himself of that thought. Whatever was in the box must have been fragile, as he could see tufts of hay sticking from its top, just like the boxes in which Baz had seen expensive vases delivered to Torchsire Library. With a sigh, Baz had turned back to face Liana, but stopped when he noticed a shelf. 
It was right beside the door, so he hadn't immediately noticed it when entering. It was mostly empty, but held a few spoken books, and judging by the glossy leather in which their covers were wrapped, they were... new. Baz gave a low whistle and found himself standing in front of the shelf before he realized what he was doing. Immediately, he recoiled and looked from side to side. Idiotic, to be certain, seeing as how no one was in the room with him. But such instincts had kept him alive so far. A speaker showing any interest at all in a book was no better than an illit attempting to accost a reader in a harbor's presence. A good way to find your body being used as fertilizer. Still, knowing there was no one else to see, he couldn't resist taking a quick peek. Of course, he selected the one with the angular, dagger-like characters along its spine. This volume was bound in black leather, and its cover labeled in red script. The languages of the Trinity couldn't be read in the traditional sense. They didn't use sentences or grammar, at least not grammar like that used by ordinary speech. Rather, the words of a spoken book conveyed general ideas or feelings that, when combined with a speaker's innate power and concentrated will, could produce feats of elemental power. The language of destruction, for instance, was appropriately compared to an aria sung by a burning woman, full of agonizing beauty. The title of the book Baz selected was Curious, and it took him some time to ponder out the idea it conveyed. A return to emptiness, perhaps? Or maybe it was more like leaving all behind? It was impossible to truly translate into the common tongue. At least, he'd always thought so until he'd gone to Undertome and discovered the Keepers and their quest to resurrect the Enigma's lost work, the Equities. Books that translated the languages of the Trinity to the common tongue and could be used to teach any man, woman, or child how to unlock the power of the elements. Still, he certainly lacked the ability to perform the translation. Whatever the title meant, though, it left a dull sense of dread in the pit of his stomach. That ought to have been reason enough for him to set the volume back on the shelf, but of course he had to open it. His dread immediately deepened when he did so. Rather than the generally vibrant colors in most spoken books, these letters were all black, a book entirely of shadow. His palms immediately began to sweat, and suddenly he had an uncontrollable urge to lick his lips. And the voices that had fallen to a nearly unnoticeable hum at the back of his mind abruptly increased in their intensity. He thumbed through page after page, fingers seeming to move of their own will. His ears began to ring, and it was as if his surroundings had become surreal, like he'd stepped into a painting. The book was all there was, his eyes glued to its words. And what terrible things they told of. Banishment, exile, anguish like that of a great leader watching his orders lead to the annihilation of ones he had once called friends. The iron dragon lurched beneath Baz's feet, beginning to move. Losing his balance, he stumbled to one knee, the book tumbling to the ground, landing pages down. 
mind still in a fog, he half crawled, half scampered away from it until his back was against the bookshelf. He left the shadow book lying there on the deck. There was no way he'd ever even think of touching the thing again. Besides, his hands were shaking too badly to grasp it anyway. If Liana came in and noticed it, Emma would just have to find some way to explain what she was doing with several spoken books that looked as if they'd just been scribed yesterday rather than three hundred years ago. At some point, he must have dozed off, or perhaps passed out. His mind had been like a box of nails spilled on the floor, a pained jumble. He'd touched a spoken book of shadow exactly three times now in his life, and each time the experience had been disconcerting, though this had been by far his worst reaction. If the Iron Dragon hadn't suddenly begun to move, he wasn't certain what would have happened. He'd felt as if he'd been... Baz couldn't even begin to describe it. Losing himself? As if the book had been attempting to claim his very soul for its own purposes. Bastion! Liana's shout had brought Baz back to a state of semi-consciousness. What are you doing? The first thing he'd seen upon opening his eyes was the Book of Shadow, still lying on the floor where he'd dropped it. Thinking only that he didn't want to have to explain its presence there to Liana, he'd stumbled upright and exited the cargo hold. Liana had been standing there in the narrow hall, hands on hips. Still in a daze, he'd permitted her to usher him into one of the cabins. And that's how he'd ended up in this circular argument with Liana, denying his acquaintance with Emma. It was probably an exaggeration to say that this current experience, sitting there in one of the cabin's tall-backed leather armchairs, was as harrowing as the one he'd had with the Book of Shadow. But he certainly wasn't enjoying himself, either. And I'll say for the tenth time, Bastion, I don't believe you. Liana was pacing around the cabin, eschewing the chair across from him. There were several curious objects serving as decorations in the cabin, and Liana kept picking them up and examining them in between angered exchanges. Currently, she was holding a statue of a book dragon that very closely resembled the one she had in her workshop back at erstwhile. Unlike hers, though, this one was covered in actual words of the Trinity, rather than the gibberish scribblings that adorned hers. Clearly, she was troubled at such a thing being left about where any old illit or speaker could see it. She was surprised when she first saw you, Bastion. I'm certain of it. And she gave you that hat of yours back, even though she knows what you are, and... Her lips compressed to a thin line. She set the statue back on the tabletop, her amethyst eyes meeting Baz's own and holding them. She called you Baz, and you let it pass without comment. But you don't let anyone call you that except Yeltax. Her eyes dropped from Baz's own before she added, Not even me. Baz swallowed, suddenly becoming very interested in a loose thread on the hem of his tunic. She sounded so... hurt. But why? The topic of his name had never even come up between the two of them. She'd always called him Bastion. Until rather recently, it wasn't something he'd ever really considered. No one beyond Tax had ever possessed a desire to reach a level of familiarity that would have warranted considering whether he wanted them to call him Baz.
when Rox had inadvertently called him by that name after saving him from the evil that lay trapped in the bowels of Undertome, it felt right somehow to let him use the name. But look where that had gotten him. Reaffirmation of a truth he'd always known, that people were unreliable. How could he ever permit himself to trust another person enough that he'd be comfortable with them calling him Baz? We're friends, Bastion, aren't we? Baz grimaced eyes still focused on that loose thread. Were they? He wasn't even certain what a friend truly was. Comparatively speaking, he liked Liana far more than almost any other person with whom he interacted on a regular basis, and the way her eyes sparkled when she smiled. But did that make her a friend? And even if it did, Thinking of her as such and giving life to the thought by saying it aloud were two entirely different things. Speakers can't afford to have friends, Liana. Bloody burning books! Liana slammed a hand down on the table. The blow knocked the book dragon statue onto its side and nearly off the table. Baz jumped at the outburst, eyes involuntarily meeting Liana's own. Was she... crying? Can't you say anything honest to me at all? Baz looked away again. Don't talk to me about honesty, Liana. You profess to be my friend, but treat me like a slave, just like the readers when it counts. Liana went rigid. Baz chanced a glance back at her and was startled to find tears rolling down both her cheeks. It's... it's... it's just how things are. What am I supposed to do? Act like I don't agree with how you're treated? Where would that get us? I'd be expelled from the conservatory, and you'd still be a slave. Is that what you tell yourself each time they kill another batch of factory workers? Liana's shoulders began to quake. Stand up! What? Stand up! She shrieked. Bass shot up from his seat as if yanked by a chain. Liana moved to stand before him, holding his gaze with red-brimmed eyes. Then she slapped him across the face. The sound echoed off the room's high ceiling. Baz let out a grunt of surprise, stumbling half a step to the side. He'd bit his tongue and tasted blood, like biting down on a knife's edge. With a deep breath, he straightened and looked back to Liana. She raised her hand and made to strike him again, but he caught her arm at the wrist and held firm. She struggled, trying in vain to free herself. All the while, Baz just stared into her eyes. They burned with a passion, mostly anger, but not all. When she ceased her struggles, they stood there in silence for several moments, just staring at one another. Liana's lower lip trembled, her lips. Baz pulled Liana close and kissed her. He'd never kissed a woman before. See the earlier comment about no one ever showing any interest in becoming familiar with him. It was wet and warm, and that was before Liana added her tongue into the mix. It surprised him for an instant, but then he reciprocated and pulled her closer, her body pressing against his own. Baz wasn't certain how long they stayed like that, but eventually they parted, releasing each other entirely. He felt more dazed than he had after his ordeal with the Book of Shadow, practically staggering back from her. Liana was breathing hard, her chest rising and falling, cheeks flushed. Sorry, 
Baz muttered. Sorry, don't be an idiot. I've been waiting for you to do that for weeks. Uh, what? I mean, you have? She gave him a sinister grin and took a step back toward him. Come here, Baz. The Iron Dragon lurched as if struck by a giant's fist. Baz toppled into Liana, and they both went spilling to the cabin's floor. The statue of the book dragon fell off the table and shattered. The sound of steel grinding on steel whined through the compartment. So loud, Baz covered his ears. They lurched once more, sending Baz and Liana both tumbling into a wall. Baz lay there dazed for several moments before realizing they were no longer moving. Slowly, he pushed himself into a sitting position. Then he heard the roar. Hello everyone, welcome back to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is Sunday, November 20th, 2022, as I record this which is episode 18 of season 2 of the podcast, and episode number 45 overall. Hard to believe we're up to 45 episodes here already on this journey we began back in January. Thanks for, thanks for hanging out with me through all these, all these episodes here. Uh, first of all, uh, I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, this will be the last episode uh, I record before Thanksgiving, which... Uh, will be in four days as of the day that this releases, so happy Thanksgiving 2022 to all of you out there. Hope you spend it with family and friends and eat lots of uh, good food and have some time to relax and watch some football as well. Um, so let's see, a couple quick updates here. Well, first, I guess I'll say, hope you enjoyed chapters 20 and 21 of Declaimer's Discovery. Uh, maybe finally getting into a little more action here. We, we meet Maeve, uh, the, the slightly grumpy and uh, very authoritative Maeve. Uh, she has lots of secrets about her. You know, she says she's a midwife, but uh, she seems uh, a little more powerful than your average midwife, right? So I'll have to unpack her a little more as we move on here. And we finally see how they're going to get to fortune so quickly. The Iron Dragon um, which uh, is a train, obviously, or I hope that's obvious. <laughs> um, and then uh, Liana and Baz finally showing some of their true feelings for one another. I assume that wasn't much of a surprise for most of you, but uh, if you have any comments about that, shoot me an email, dtkane at dtkane.com. Uh, next week, we're going to do some analysis of chapters, I believe it's 15 through 21. Um I think the last analysis episode we did ended with chapter 14, so uh, we'll have that to look forward to next week. Um, if you have any questions um, about the reading over the past several weeks, <clears throat> make sure you send those to me in the next few days, uh, and I will answer them on that episode. Or frankly, any other questions you have at all, send them over to me and I'll, I'll get them answered for you either on the show or I'll respond to you via, via email. Um, let's see, what else is going on here? Uh, just a quick reminder, uh, the box set, uh, of parts one, two, and three is releasing on Black Friday in my newsletter. You can sign up for my newsletter at, uh, dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. Um, you can buy it directly from me through my PayHip website for $3.99. It'll be delivered via BookFunnel, which is 
very easy. You can just download it right into your Kindle. Um, or if you prefer to buy it from one of the normal retail sites, it'll be priced uh, at $5.99. That would be the regular price. Um, and you can buy it from you know Amazon or Kobo or wherever else you'd like to buy your, your digital books from. Uh, there will be two exclusive essays in the box set about my inspiration for the Spoken Books Uprising. And there's also going to be character art of Baz, Deliritus, and Rox, uh, the first time ever. And uh, as of now, the box set is the only place you're going to be able to get those essays in that character art. So uh, consider uh, throwing me a few dollars and picking up that box set next next Friday. Helps, uh, helps support your friendly uh, independent author here and help me keep producing all this content that I've been working on here. Um, besides that, uh, NaNoWriMo update, it is going well. Actually, just before I recorded today, I crossed the 40,000 word threshold, so uh, more than 80% of the way there to 50,000 words and becoming a repeat NaNoWriMo champion. So, uh, you know, maybe by this time next week when we're talking to each other again, I'll have eclipsed 50,000 words, but stay tuned uh, to find out. Uh, all right. Uh, I think that's it for the updates. We'll just move along here to our fantasy quote of the week and wrap up this week's episode. Uh, this week we return to Mr. Tolkien. He just has so many <laughs> good quotes. Um, this week's a nice short one <clears throat> from the Two Towers. Often does hatred hurt itself. Um, that is after... That's after they've talked to Saruman up in his <laughs> up in his tower, and he's kind of hidden himself away. Gandalf says that uh, about him. If, if you are wondering exactly where in the two towers that is, <clears throat> that's in the book, by the way. I don't know if he I don't know if that exact line is in the movie or not, but it's definitely in the book. I looked it up in my copy. Often does hatred hurt itself, um, in my little interpretation here. <clears throat> Hatred, or any other negative emotion, tends to feel good in the moment. We are hurt, or angry, or distraught, and we need somewhere to direct our anguish, somewhere other than ourselves. But that which we do for quick relief is rarely a true remedy. Indeed, it is likely to do the opposite, make a disease out of what was only a temporary discomfort. Hatred anger, or even simple dislike are things we must cling to like drunks to the bottle or, given the upcoming holiday, shopaholics to their credit cards. Letting them go would force us to face ourselves, and it's so much easier to shift the blame elsewhere. But hiding behind negativity is like grasping at the jagged rocks of a cliff. It may delay your fall, but it still hurts you. So look past your spite, your ire, your discontent, and instead choose acceptance and peace and love. Especially this time of year, embrace the positive and count your blessings, not your frustrations. Uh, hope that's a, a nice, nice sentiment to send you into your uh, your long Thanksgiving weekends here. Uh, and just as a reminder, if you have a favorite fantasy quote you'd like me to feature on a future episode and in my weekly newsletter, uh, just shoot me an email, dtkane at dtkane.com. We've had a, a few user-submitted quotes uh, over the past couple months here. 
Um, so keep keep sending those in. I like when people give me quotes. It saves me from having to scroll through uh, Goodreads looking for good quotes on my own. <laughs> uh, all right, that is all for this week again. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I uh, hope you all have a, a safe and peaceful uh, long week. Uh, and don't do too much online shopping. <laughs> but if you do, consider picking, picking up a copy of my... Uh, my box set here. Uh, just a reminder, it'll be be in the newsletter next Friday. Uh, all right, so that's all for now. Um, and until next time, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, Give this video a thumbs up if you liked it, and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author. Or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.